Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. A patient is a person, no matter how small, whether that is a patient like us or whether this is a patient on the inside of the womb. Today on Focus on the Family, we have a fascinating look at a medical perspective on the sanctity of preborn life. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. That's right, John. Uh, Dr. Bill Lyle is our guest today. He's been on the broadcast twice in the past two years, and he always brings a lot of energy to the pro-life topic. Oh, he does. He's so well-spoken. Yeah, Dr. Lyle is a board-certified obstetrician, a gynecologist, and he has an active private practice where he has delivered over 4,000 babies. He's also a medical instructor and an amazing pro-life speaker, as you're about to hear. And this presentation has a lot of visuals. You'll want to visit our website and watch this presentation uh, to get the full picture, so to speak. Uh, you'll find it at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Here now is Dr. Bill Lyle speaking at a Bringing America Back to Life conference. It was sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Well, Good morning. My name is Dr. Bill Lyle, and I practice obstetrics and gynecology, and it is an honor to be invited. It's an honor to be here. I love my job, but I love this. I have a passion for this. I have a passion for teaching. We want to give you the tools that you can convince your family, your friends, your colleagues, that we are created in the image of God from that moment of conception, and all preborn need to be defended and protected. So who created new life? God did. Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image. None of the other parts of creation were created in the image of God. We, as individuals, were all created in the image of God. Well, the question is, well, when were we created in the image of God? I mean, am I up at 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody's been pushing for two hours, and it's like, nope, no image of God yet. No image of God yet. The baby comes out, and then I deliver the baby, and I hold it all like the Mufasa, and I say, behold, the image of God. No, that's not when we were created in the image of God. How about when we do that first ultrasound, and we can see that heart beating on the inside? Is that when we were created in the image of God? No. The only biologic sense is that we were created in the image of God at that moment of conception. When one cell from the mom and one cell from the dad got together, that's when we were created in the image of God. Well, when does science say life begins? I'm going to show you what happens with mammalian cells. Now, let's, let's talk about conception, and we're going to talk about it politely, all right? When it comes to conception, we have two people that are involved in this story. We have the mom's side of the family, and we have the dad's side of the family. Mom produces one egg for this party. Guys, can we get by with just one? No. We are over here, and it might be 400 million, maybe 500 million of our cells to accomplish what she is providing with one egg. So the moment of conception happens, and now everybody thinks they're Michael Phelps, you know? And everybody is on the starting track, and they're all ready to swim. And the gun goes off, and then all of them are swimming across, and then they get to the top of the uterus, and they have a choice. What's their choice? Do we make a left turn, or do we make a right turn? They do not ask for direction, so half of them go to the wrong side. They go out the left tube, and they get to the end, and they go, there's no egg. And the other half go to the right, and they, we've got an egg. But guess what? Now it's not a matter of getting to the egg. Now they have to fight to see who gets on the inside. Now the real battle begins. God designed 
conception so that there was only a gold medalist in this race. There is no silver, there is no bronze because dyspermia is not consistent with life. So just like on Star Trek, you know, if you come up and there's Klingons all over the place, what does the captain say? He goes, shields up. Well, guess what God did? He did the same thing. As soon as Michael Phelps burrows his way into that egg and that miracle of conception happens and fertilization has happened, at that moment, shields go up. And it's called the zona pellucida. When that zona pellucida, that protective shield goes up around the egg and says no mas to all the other guys who are all losers who did that, all that swimming and racing for nada. You know, as soon as that happens, there's a depolarization of zinc ions. What does that mean? It means that there is actually a flash of light at that moment of conception. And this is what you see when that happens with, I mean, there is literally a flash of light when you look at the right frequency of light. So when we they hear people say, well, we really don't know when life begins. There's a flash of light. What more do you need than a flash of light to say, bam, that's when life just occurred. Whenever somebody does that pregnancy test and they go, oh my goodness, I'm pregnant. You know, this is time to celebrate. I need to go to my doctor's office. They want the ultrasound. You know, you show them the ultrasound, and what do they want on the next visit? Another ultrasound. This is what shows the life on the inside. That is the patient. That is the person that is there within the womb, and that who we must defend. Anybody here ever had surgery before? I see all this gray hair. Y'all have all had surgery. Admit to it. You know, my daughter had to have her tonsils out, you know, over Christmas. She was asleep. She was under anesthesia. She could feel no pain. She could not respond to anything. Was she still a patient and was she still a person, even though she couldn't respond and communicate? Yes. When you had your surgeries, even though you could not respond and you could not feel pain, were you still a person? Yes, you are still a person. If I'm operating and I mess up and somebody dies, do I go out to the family and say, you know what, I'm sorry, Grandma passed away, we kind of messed up, but she was under general anesthesia, so it's okay. She felt no pain while she was anesthesia. No, a patient is a person, no matter how small, whether that is a patient like us sitting at tables or whether this is a patient on the inside of the womb. ACOG. ACOG is not pro-life. ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And ACOG, in their practice bulletin number 439, is talking about informed consent. Informed consent is not just a form that you sign. Informed consent is a process. It is a process where the risks, benefits, indications, and alternatives are described to you before you have a procedure done. Well, look at what they say. Seeking informed consent expresses respect for the Patient as a person. Patient as a person. So if I want to defend the preborn, I need to prove that they are a person. So my next step, according to ACOG's statement, is then all I have to do is show that they are a patient on the inside, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how we treat the preborn as patients in the womb. The technology has just changed just over the past year, and it is changing month by month on the procedures that we are able to do to save the lives of the preborn. This is a great example. We do a lot of pro-life apologetics training for men. This is one of the examples that we'll give to men. So when they're talking with their colleagues, they're talking with their friends, they can use this example and they can say, hey, how about this? What's a delayed interval delivery? We had a patient a couple years ago came to Pensacola, and this happens around the country so much that it doesn't even make the news anymore. 
This mom came to Pensacola. There was a concert going on in Pensacola. Might have been Toby Mack, I think it was. She's 25 weeks pregnant with identical twins. One egg, one sperm, you know, conceived at the same moment in time. And somehow before day 13, divided into two exact copies. And she is there, and she's just swaying to the music with Toby Mack there. And all of a sudden, bam, we have a baptism up on the front because she just broke her bag of water. It's like, oh, my goodness, I don't think I'll be able to stay for the rest of the concert. No, you will not, you know. So she comes to our hospital. She comes to Sacred Heart Hospital. Before we could do anything, she delivered that first baby, the identical twin. That identical twin goes over to our NICU. All the doctors, all the nurses, and all the technology, and that baby is being cared for. The other twin still has an intact sack of water. Our maternal fetal medicine doctors went up and said, you know what, we have two NICUs in our hospital. We have the ones with all the doctors, nurses, and technology, and we have the one that was created by God. And this one is actually doing a better job. As long as this baby in the womb is doing well, we'd like to keep this baby in the womb. And then when we get to that point where this baby needs to go to that NICU, we will. But for right now, we're going to use this one. Well, guess what? Do we get hours? Oh, yeah. Do we get days? Oh, yeah. Do we get weeks? There was a case up in Tennessee just recently, six and a half weeks. You have one baby that is born in June. You have its identical twin born in August. You go to register them for school, and this one is in first grade, and this one is in kindergarten, and they're identical twins. The technology is amazing, but here's the real key. One egg, one sperm conceived at the same moment in time. Before day 13, they divide up into identical copies. One baby is in the NICU, one baby is in the womb. If mom were to choose, she could legally say, you know what, I know we had two, but I really only wanted one. You know, two is just gonna be a lot of a hassle. I'm fine with this one. She could legally go to Virginia, she could legally go to New York, and she goes, you know what, I just don't want the second one. And she could legally take the life of an identical twin conceived at the same moment in time. This baby has rights and protection like if I was in a cardiac care unit, yet the baby that is in the womb that is the exact copy, identical twin, does not have those rights. Our rights come from God. It is the duty of the state to protect those rights, and it is not dependent on our geographic location where one identical twin is over in the NICU and the other twin is in the womb. That is a great example for our guys to take home when they have their pro-life apologetics training. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Family's Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash life. That's focusonthefamily.com slash life. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. We'll continue now with the balance of our programming. 
but we're actually doing heart surgery now on the babies on the inside. We are doing heart surgery and spine surgery at 22 weeks gestation. You're like, how do you do heart surgeries? Um, let's talk about aortic stenosis. What is aortic stenosis? The left ventricle contracts. It puts blood out to the rest of the body. When that left ventricle contracts, it goes through the aorta. If that aorta is normal, you hear a if the aorta is closed, you don't hear that sound. You hear wee, 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 wee. If we don't do something and open up that valve, that baby will die of heart failure on the inside. So what do we do? We guide a needle, ultrasound guidance. We go through the mom's belly. We go up to the wall of the uterus. We go right up to the baby's chest. We introduce that needle not just into the baby's chest, not just into that baby's heart. We then thread it up into the aortic valve, which is all closed. We inflate the balloon at the end of that, and we blow up that valve a little bit. Within 60 seconds, we see dramatic improvements of that baby's blood flow. Is that treating them as a patient on the inside? If we're doing valvuloplasty, we're now doing septoplasty, and we're doing neurosurgery, spinal surgery, at 22 weeks gestation, right at the earliest cusp of when a baby could even think of surviving on the outside. Yet we're doing heart surgery, and we're doing neurosurgery on these babies. But you know what? There's a bioethicist from the Journal of Medical Ethics who says, you know what? Doyle and Ward suggest that a woman's autonomy may be threatened if fetuses are regarded as patients in their own right. That was in 2011. Well, I got news for her. We do treat them as patients on the inside. And because that mom is a patient, mom is an amazing life support system, but baby is also a patient. Have you all done this before? 23andMe, Ancestry Doc, I did it. It's pretty cool. You know, you give them $50, they send you a little tube, you drool in it for five minutes, and you send it off, and it tells you your family tree. This is mine. I am 38% Eastern European. Of course, I underlined the 29% Irish when I was in Ireland last week. That's my family history. That is my story. Did this story start when I was born, when my mama pushed me out, that all of a sudden I have 38% this, 29%, 12% that? No. In fact, if you were doing a study when I was one cell, one cell from my mom's side of the family, one cell from my dad's side of the family. If you look at that DNA of that one cell, guess what? It will be the exact same report. This was my 23andMe report, whether I am 55 years of age or whether I have just been conceived and my total number of cells is one. That is scientific proof. That is genetics. Opioids, narcotics. We have a problem with this in Florida. I know that out here in Ohio, y'all don't have a narcotic or opioid problem at all, right? Yeah, who am I kidding? You, we, you have a problem, I have a problem. It's inner city, it's rural, it's suburban. It is across the country. In fact, 2017, we had 72,000 people in the United States die of overdoses. What's one agent that's used to save those lives? Narcan. If you haven't seen Narcan work, it is a Disney movie. This is Sleeping Beauty that is out, cannot respond to pain, cannot breathe. There is just a heartbeat. We give them a shot of Narcan, and they will just rise like Lazarus. They will be up and go, well, how did I get here? Narcan's an amazing drug. But you know what? We have another blight going across this country, more so than, nar than narcotics. It is RE46, mifepristone, the abortion pill. And do not confuse the abortion pill with the morning after pill, which was 72 hours. That was 72 hours. This is 70 days, where it can be 98% effective in taking the life of a baby in the womb with this medicine called RU46. Anybody here ever work as a server? No waiters? Wait, okay. If the chef has a special and he says, today's special is meatloaf, and you're selling the meatloaf, and then the chef says 86 the meatloaf. What does that mean to you? Kill it. Meatloaf's done. We're out of it. Kill it. Kill the special. Look at this drug. 
It's a question. Are you for 86ing this pregnancy, this baby that's there on the inside? That's the way I remember it as I served myself through college. 39% of all the abortions in the United States are now chemical abortions with this because this is the business model of Planned Parenthood because the profit margin is higher. Again, 98% effective. Well, how does it work? Woman gets pregnant. Husbands, you know this. There are a couple changes that happened when your wife got pregnant. Lots of different changes. Well, there is a lot of change and there are a lot of instruments in this orchestra, but guess what? There's one conductor. If you have the orchestra tuning and getting ready at the beginning of a concert, it doesn't sound real great until the maestro walks out. The maestro walks out and all of a sudden everybody is going to be playing together. The conductor in the orchestra of pregnancy is a hormone called progesterone. Progesterone is what keeps the pregnancy going. It is the one that announces, hey, congratulations, we are pregnant. We are not going to have a cycle. We're going to divert resources, and we're going to support this pregnancy. RU46 successfully blocks that hormone signal, the progesterone. Progesterone is a hormone that we use in obstetrics all the time. We use it to prevent preterm labor. We use it to prevent recurrent miscarriage. If somebody had IVF in vitro fertilization at a different place, guess what? Mom was not expecting a pregnancy to arrive. So what do they do at their centers? They put them on progesterone to keep this pregnancy going. This is not some black box drug over on the shelf. It's something that I use every day on my patients on the inside. ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecology, will tell you, Nobody regrets having their abortion. Nobody regrets taking the abortion pill. Abortion pill reversal is ridiculous because nobody has regrets. Do we see women having regrets and contacting our hotline right after? Usually, my experience, I've re successfully reversed six abortion pills, and we've had healthy moms, healthy babies. And most of our calls come from the parking lot or on their way home where they have that immediate regret. So we have a network, an abortion pill rescue network. We have a toll-free number. We have nurses that are manning it 24-7. We have trained over 500 doctors in the protocol and policies and safeties of abortion pill reversal. In December, we had baby number 1,000 that we were able to save through the abortion pill reversal network. That's myself. That's Dr. George Delgado. This is one of the first pregnancies that I was able to successfully reverse. You know, beautiful baby. It was quite... A trip. Mom named the baby Journey. All right, but let me tell you about the most recent one that I had. Mom lived in Destin. She was nine weeks pregnant. She tried to get into the abortion clinic in Tallahassee. They were too busy. She had to drive all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, six hours away. She gets the abortion pill, and she's now driving home on Interstate 10. And guess what? She sees one of those billboards that said, heartbeat at 18 days. Who put that sign up? I don't know. Then she drives a little bit further, and she sees another billboard that says, your mom chose life, you should too. All of a sudden, she's like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? She pulls off the rest area, and she looks up uh, antidote for the abortion pill. She finds our network, calls our hotline, speaks with the nurse. Nurse gets the information. She calls me. I call the patient, get all the information, find out what her pharmacy is, and I call in the reversal medication. She drives all the way home to Destin, Florida. She gets to her pharmacy. She takes the medication. Seven hours after she took the abortion pill, she has just started the reversal therapy. She is now 37 weeks pregnant in my practice, and she better not deliver this weekend. But she is now 36, 37 weeks pregnant, and she has a healthy mom, and she's going to have a healthy baby. So when God and the Holy Spirit talk to you and say, hey, I want you to get involved in this pregnancy center. I want you to get involved in this ministry. I want you to teach Sunday school. I want you to get involved in the nursery. Listen to what he's saying. God talked to somebody and said, put up a billboard. 
God said to another person, put up a billboard. Do I know who these people are? No. God works in a chain, and we are all links in that chain. This person put up a billboard. This person put up a billboard. This nurse was working over at the hotline. And you know what else is amazing? The pharmacist was involved in this too. How was the pharmacist involved? Because when I called her, she said, and I told her what I wanted, she said, are you trying to reverse an abortion? And I said, Yes, ma'am, I am. And I want to give you my credit card number because I don't want the patient to have to pay for it. She goes, oh, sweetie, don't worry about that. She goes, I'm going to take care of this girl. She goes, I'm going to pay for this medication out of my own pocket. Have I met this pharmacist before? No, I have never met that pharmacist, but that's how God works. He takes a bunch of links. I don't want to be the missing link. I don't want to be the link that dropped the ball and the chain was not effective. What did it cost? $109. $109 worth of medication to save the life of that baby. You have a baby whose mom has taken the abortion pill, has a 90% chance of walking to death, yet we invest $109 and we buy back the life of that baby. What's the spiritual word for buying back? We redeemed that baby. This is an example we use at churches, and a lot of people say, you know, I knew redeemed was good. I knew it was a positive thing, but I really didn't understand it. Now they understand it. ACOG also says the so-called abortion pill reversal is unproven and unethical. This is the same group that advocates for taking the lives of the baby and now has a fellowship where you can spend an extra year after training where you can learn to do a third trimester abortion because they do not feel that there is enough supply of abortionists to fulfill the need. So is it a choice? Well, when I look at it and we see 62 million lives, this is not a choice like coffee or tea over on the side. We are engaged in the spiritual battle. And if you are engaged in a spiritual battle, it would be better to use the right tools. So what does the Bible say? Psalm 139, you formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you so wonderfully you made me. The psalmist is saying, man, there was some, a night of romance nine months ago and a baby came out. And I'm like, I don't understand how that happened, but I knew that it had to be God. God created that miracle and knit you in your mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God had a relationship with Jeremiah and wanted him to serve his cause. Galatians 1.15, but he who had set me apart, Paul is saying, before I was born in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God knew what Paul's role was going to be in his kingdom even before he was born. Quickly, the stats, 47 years, 62 million lives. California's population is 40 million, 20 million in Florida. We have taken the lives of every man, woman, and child in the state of California and the state of Florida. My stats in Florida, well, we have abortions, yes. We have people die. We have people born. That's Florida State Stadium at our capital. Our state motto is, in God we trust. We have 75,000 people at a Florida State game that same year. How many abortions were performed? 76,000. We are losing a stadium full of babies year after year after year just in the state of Florida. Kingdom service. You know, we're going to get maybe 70, 80, 90 years, and then free medical advice, y'all, you're all going to die. You're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes, you're all going to die, and then we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. And we're going to think about, what did I do for kingdom service? I'm here for all eternity. Yet, what did I do for kingdom service while I was here on earth? When God put that little thought in my head and said, I want you to be involved in this ministry. I want you to be involved in that ministry. What did we do? Well, what is our goal? Our goal is to look back on how we spent our lives here on earth and say, you know what? I did my best. I tried to serve the kingdom. We want Jesus to, I mean, we're going to be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we want Jesus to look at us, look us in the eye and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So who did Jesus come to save? All of us. 
sinners. You know, when we look over in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I mean, I'm in that category. I don't, anybody else here a sinner? I mean, I'm in there. No doubt about it. But look at this in Psalms and the NIV. When it talks about sinners, surely I was sinful at birth. But hey, 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 I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So if Jesus came to earth and lived the perfect life and then gave his life on the cross, conquered death for all sinners, and we were sinners from the time we were conceived, then Jesus died for the preborn. So if God loves us enough that he would send his son, his only son, live a perfect life, die on the cross for us, be buried for three days, then conquer death. And if we believe that, we can spend eternity with him. If God has that much love for you, if God has that much love for me, and if God has that much love for the pre-born, then guess what? If God loves the pre-born that much, then I must have that much love for the pre-born. And if I love the pre-born as much as God loves the pre-born, then I will not be able to rest until I have protection and safety for every pre-born from the moment of conception. God bless you all and thank you very much. What a passionate message from OBGYN Dr. Bill Lyle on this episode of Focus on the Family. Boy, John, uh, that was such a convicting message from Dr. Lyle. And I know many of our listeners share his passion. And that's why Focus on the Family launched our Option Ultrasound program, which has saved the lives of almost half a million babies since 2004. Uh, Through the years, we've seen that 54% of abortion-minded women who have counseling and an ultrasound will choose life. That's the power of the visual image. If you haven't donated to support Option Ultrasound, can I encourage you to do so today? Your support helps us equip pregnancy centers with equipment and training to provide free ultrasounds to mothers considering abortion. Every $60 that you give will save a baby from abortion. And right now, special friends of the ministry who believe in life are offering to match your gift dollar for dollar. Your $60 gift could be doubled to $120, saving two babies. And when you give a gift of any amount today, we'll send you a CD of this message from Dr. Bill Lyle so that you can share it with a friend. Help us spread this message to others who need to hear it. Yeah, make a gift today and save a life when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can donate online and request your CD with quite a bit of additional content at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And remember, when you visit us online, you can see this presentation from Dr. Bill Lyle, complete with the photos and videos he shared with his audience. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Soon, the Supreme Court will make its historic decision on abortion in the Dobbs v. Jackson case, one that could overturn Roe v. Wade. 
What will the verdict mean and how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Starting May 2nd, we'll share inspiring stories from people who face their own pro-life moments and experience God's love. To learn more, go to focusonthefamily.com slash seize your moment. How do we talk to our kids like God talks to us? Mm. Recognizing that everything he says is tinged with grace. Doesn't mean that he's necessarily soft or easy or doesn't deal well with sin, but he deals well with it in a way that actually develops relationship rather than crushes it. That's Pastor Bill Smith, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family to discuss some important tools, actually the most important tool you have as a parent, your words. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, look at the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 18, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Well, for us that are Christians, I mean, that's pretty good instruction, right? And this is especially true in our role as parents. The tongue has the power of life and death with our children. And on the flip side, harsh or biting comments can wear your relationship down little by little with your kids. If you're that biting parent Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're expecting perfection, it's never quite right. And why didn't you get an A? A B is okay, but an A would be better. If some of this is ringing true, I want you to stick with us today because we have a guest who's going to talk about how to use uh, words of grace when talking to your kids. Yeah, and the goal is to build a better relationship with your child and to equip them to navigate life better. I wish we had some redos in my home, Jim. Oh, we all do, I'm looking forward to the conversation with Dr. William Smith. He's a pastor, counselor, and author, and uh, he's written a book that we'll be exploring today, Parenting with Words of Grace. Building Relationships with Your Children One Conversation at a Time. And you can stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A in the word family, to get your copy. Bill, welcome to Focus on the Family. Jim, thanks for having me. It's your first time. It is. And I love that. I love the title of your book, Parenting with Words of Grace. Let me me kick it off there because I think even in the intro, you know, setting that up, uh, you can hear, I don't know why I'm caricaturing this as a dad, but I could hear that dad going, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're going to talk about this. Sometimes you need to be tough with your kids. And that might be true, but speak to that balance of boundaries, words of grace. I'm sure a lot of people went, words of grace? You don't know my kid. <laughs> so let's get that out of the way Absolutely. right from the get-go. And, and here's where I think it's so helpful to realize that what I'm trying to capture is how do we talk to our kids like God talks to us? Mm. Recognizing that everything he says is tinged with grace. Doesn't mean that he's necessarily soft or easy or doesn't uh, deal well with sin, but he deals well with it in a way that actually develops relationship rather than crushes it. Yeah, that and that's perfect. You know, somebody once said to me, you know, God's a God of a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> right? We don't behave perfectly. And that's the other aspect of this life. You know, Paul, who, my goodness, who could rise to Paul's ability, right, as a theologian, knowing the word the way he did? Yet Paul himself said, you know, I do those things I don't wish to do, and I don't do the things I should do, basically. And I think he was giving us that idea of imperfection in this life. Yeah, I think we really... I've said it provocatively this way before. It's as though we're trying to raise Pharisees, and we think that the wow. the best child that we could possibly have would be one that lo- just looks perfect on the outside, and we really don't care what's going on on the inside. 
Wow, that is good. And as you go through the Gospels, you realize that the Pharisees were the epitome of good kids, mm. people who had everything down the, the right way. They were the kids that you wanted your kids to play with because then your kids would, you know, maybe Hopefully some of that rub off on your yeah. kids, right? You wanted your kids to marry them. They were the future leaders of the community. And they stood in front of Jesus and did not recognize the one who created them. Yeah. And they accused him of being a tool for Satan. And you yeah. think, wow, okay, that's not what I want <laughs> when I'm helping my kids grow into moral human beings. Right. And that's, again, what, why I'm so excited to have you here today, because I believe in this message. And I think, you know, even in my imperfection as a dad, I think you'd agree, John. And I, Gene would say that as a mom, that, you know, we have to realize we're broken people, too, mm-hmm. and we're not perfect at parenting. And boy, when you can express that to your kids at the appropriate age, it's revolutionary to them. I remember one time I went into Trent's bedroom. I had disciplined him, and I went in, and, you know, I said, I, I just got, you know, too emotional on that, Trent. I'm sorry I reacted the way I did. And I remember he was in the top bunk, eyeball to eyeball with me, and he had this big smile on his face. I said, why are you smiling? He goes, well, I didn't know parents had to apologize. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. And, and uh, it really, it, I think it communicated the right thing. Let me go back a moment. You talked about... God obviously being our father and a wonderful, perfect model of that. What kind of words does God use with his children? Let's let's get into it. What are the things that he says to us? So maybe even pack, unpack uh, a theology of conversation for one of a better phrase. Um, what, what does God do when he communicates? He's unpacking who he is. He's the invisible God, but you get a sense of who he is as he speaks because he tells you, here's what I value. And you realize he makes us in his image. So there's an analog out of our hearts, our mouth speaks, as Jesus says. So you can see our invisible values and our concerns as we talk. Same is true with God. And so as he communicates to us in the scripture, you're getting a sense of who he is as a person. But you're also getting a sense of our place in his world. Because he tells you, I value you. You're important to me. I want you to be with me forever. And you get that sense of, wow, we, we count. What is man that, that you should care about him? And, and God says, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and because he puts that value on us. And as we hear him speak, we get a sense of who he is. We get a sense of how he values us. And with those two things, there's an implied invitation. Given what you've just learned about me, given how you've heard me connect with other people, would you like some more of me? Mm. And then as God's images, we do the exact same thing. So every time I talk, whether I'm giving formal theological instruction or I'm talking about how do we clean up the milk that just got spilled on the table, I'm communicating this is what's most important to me. Never having any mistakes or, yeah, mistakes happen. I'm communicating your place in that world. You're this rotten person who always you know, interrupts my schedule or you're someone who gets to learn now how to clean something up that they spilled. <laughs> right. And in that, it, based on how I value them, I'm offering an invitation that says, when you have more emotional maturity, when you have more options, are you likely to want to spend some more time with me? Yeah. Or will you spend that elsewhere? And in the book, you mentioned an example where your son, I think, being a little boy, took something he shouldn't have taken, I think some money or something like that. How did that turn into an opportunity to show him this dynamic between God's treatment of us, your treatment of him? What happened? Yeah, that was a, that, that was one of those opportunities you don't really want. It's the end of the day, you clean everything up and you just want to be left alone. And this little person walks into my office and says, 
Do you remember two, three years ago when uh, $10 went missing and, and you knew that it was me because it was on my bedside table? But I said, no, it was the cat. And I was like, yeah, the cat I, ate I, it. I remember this. <laughs> and he says, well, it was wrong. And so I, I wanted to get that right. Do you want the money back? And I think, okay, wow, here's a beautiful opportunity. Obviously, the Lord is at work moving in his yeah, conscience. That's amazing. It was how long after the fact? About three years or so. Wow, that's amazing. He'd been carrying it that long. Yeah. Well, how, think about how long I carry the things I've been deceptive in and <laughs> think three years is short. Yeah, and, okay, that's uh, fair. But I, I was very grateful to see that. But I'm also aware, huh, he has a very moralistic approach to sin. Sin is an activity only. By paying it back, I'm yeah, clean. Yeah, Okay. And maybe I'll give you interest. But I, I, wanted, I wanted to expand this for him. And I said, uh -huh. do, do you really think that you can pay me back for what we went through? He said, yes. <laughs> I thought, okay, now I have to enter in a little bit more. I said, mm -hmm. so you can pay me back for all the hours that I spent worrying about where you were inside your own heart and mind. You can pay me back for the suspicions that we then had when other money was misplaced around the house. You can pay me back for uh, my concern over how you're building greed into your life and how you're pushing us away. You can pay for all of that. And he says, no, I, I, I can't. And that's that kind of moment that I, I, I want for my own life mm. when, when I realize here's what Jesus really did to pay for me. Right, as something you could never repay. Exactly. Yeah which makes the gospel beautiful, the cross wonderful, and my God amazing. And that's what I wanted him to experience in that moment. You encourage in the book uh, parents to look for the positive uh, in seed form. So I want you to describe what that means, what, you know, looking for the positive in that seed form. So as a parent in my 30s and 40s, I wanted to see my kids respond in 30 and 40-year-old ways. And you realize that's just... <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> but it, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> That is so true. Why do we do that? I, Jean and I have had those conversations, my wife and I, and I'm, you know, sometimes she's the one correcting me and sometimes me toward her. And I remember saying, you know, they're 15. They're not, they're not yeah. 40 year olds. Yeah. They're not going to think the way we think. And that's true. It took me four decades to get here in, <laughs> in that time. And you think, well, why aren't you? I, I, I told you how to get, and think, no, the maturity takes time. Yeah. So so I want to walk that back then yeah. and say, what's that look like at your level? And how do I affirm that rather than being irritated because it's not the way that I really wish it was? Bill, I can imagine some parents watching on YouTube or listening to us and they're going, oh, okay, this is good. I get it. But um, it's difficult to know when to encourage and when to speak the truth. It's mm -hmm. kind of that balance. We still need to be mom and dad. You just can't let them do anything they want to do or behave any way you get the argument. How, how do we balance that? What are the clues that you give us in the book to, to make sure that you're doing that in a healthy way, which yeah. probably is the best goal? Yeah. So underneath of that question, I think, is the realization that on any given day, in any given moment, your kid is doing some things that are positive and some things that are less than. And so what, what do you focus on? As I go through the scriptures, I notice that Jesus rebukes people rebukes the Pharisees, he rebukes Peter when Peter's rebuking him, and you realize there are hard-hearted moments where he goes after. And then you read a book like 1 Corinthians, which always is weird for me, because the opening several verses are just about how great the Corinthians are, how thankful Paul is for them, how they've been blessed with every spiritual gift, and then you read the book and you think, really? Yeah, then it's reprimand. Mm -hmm. he, yeah, because these are guys who are engaged in all kinds of sexual immorality and divisions in the church and... and 
You think, why did you encourage them? You go to 2 Corinthians and you realize, oh, they responded. There's a softness in their hearts. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the key. The hard-hearted people, you come a little bit more strongly, a little bit more energy. If someone is responding and soft, lead with encouragement. Mm. Because what you're affirming is what God has built in there that will last forever. You know, so often, Bill, I I leave this question to the end, but I think the timing's right now. The parent that has blown it, Mm. you know, we have lived by behavioral modification guidelines. You know, we want you to behave a certain way so that we can be proud of you and our neighbors can be proud of us, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it it's dawning, that realization, as we're listening to this discussion, okay, I haven't managed that well. What do they do with their 15-year-old who may be rebellious now? I mean, because they never have been able to get to that standard, and it's caused division and a prodigal, potentially. Because oftentimes those prodigal kids are walking away from, and not always, but often, because that bar being set so high they could never attain it. I can never please you, so why try anymore? So speak to that parent. What what can I do differently now? I think for that parent, you have to realize I am that parent as well. And the gospel that was good for me decades ago is still the gospel I have to run to today. And I always have to go, I I have to start there. Mm -hmm. There are remedial things that I can do with the ones that I've blown it with. You've mentioned some, I think, going back and apologizing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Huge. Offering a different kind of relationship. Okay, this is the way I have been. I will not deny it. I'm not going to try to cover it up. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. But I will set a new path, a new pattern, because if Christ has risen from the dead, there isn't anything that's impossible for Mm -hmm. his people. Boy, that is really good. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other thing I would add is it's not too late to start for that kind of reconciliation, confessing your own sin as a parent to that adult child or that teenager, you know, to say, I, I've blown it. I did not understand this. That kind of leans into the next question I want to ask you about, which is the need for honesty. I mean, that's brutal honesty when you as a parent can come to that conclusion that, uh, okay, I have not done this well, and then confess that to your child. Um Describe what it means to be a mirror to your child in that context of honesty. I use a metaphor of a mirror, a verbal mirror, and that's simply when I'm saying to somebody, my child, my spouse, my friend, this is what I see in your life. I could be wrong. I could be misreading you, but this is what I see, and you realize that's what a mirror does. It simply shows you you, the way that you are, and it's up to you whether or not you accept that. And so I've offered, here's what I think I'm seeing Am I seeing correctly? Do do I need to be corrected? Or if I'm seeing correctly, what do you want to do about this? How how did that work, I mean, practically with your son? Describe your kids, by the way, sons and daughters. Our oldest is a daughter, uh, now married, and then we have two sons. Okay. So in that context, as you were the mirror to them, did you, (laughs) how did that go? I guess I'm just going to ask you flat out. Yeah, I appreciate that. And let me add a caveat up front. There is no guarantee that any time you engage your kids well, that it's going to respond, they'll respond (laughs) well. Uh, You're not given that authority or that ability in their lives. So sometimes when I've done that with people, it's worked out very well. There's been a reciprocal, hey, okay, I know dad loves me and cares about me, and so I respond well. And other times it's, yeah, okay, get away from me. Let me press you. I think your son had a, an issue with self-control. How did you do the mirror thing with him in that context? So in that one, um, just sort of watching all of the different kinds of things he'd been doing for several days or a week, 
realizing I needed to step in and say something to him, which would be that here's what I think I'm seeing. Can you help us with what that looked like? I just uh, <laughs> endless time on his phone. Yep. Uh, eating way too much junk food, watching and uh, other kinds of things. Just Typical sort of a behavior. Uh, yeah, a life lived without yeah, limits. Like, were, were you at our house lately? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I knew that I need to lay that out for him. But that's a vulnerable spot where you're going to come to somebody and say, "Here's all these unimpressive things that I see you doing." So I want to lay the groundwork for that first. So I did by confessing my own sins, saying, I know what that's like. As a pastor, Sunday is sort of the point you drive the rest of the week toward. Right. Sunday afternoon is Friday night for most everybody You're else, correct, yeah. where you just sort of, ah, I, I, I'm all done. The pressure's off. Yeah. The way that I tend to handle that, and you know, I can't slow my mind down, it's just, I would just want to feel numb for a little while. TV is a great number. It's <laughs> just this electronic yeah. thing. And so I found myself one Sunday night watching Sunday Night Football. Well, that wasn't interesting enough, so I'm flipping back and forth between that and the World Series. One of those ends, I've watched the other one until it's done. If I turn this off, I'm going to feel all of the things I've been trying not to feel. So let's go look for person of interest reruns. And now elementary, and finally by 1230, I was like, enough, just turn this off. And so I'm able to go to my son and say, I, I get it. <laughs> I, I know what it's like to go hours and hours and hours without feeling like you can stop. And there's hope. And there's a place where we can both go. It's not just you and your need, but it's collectively our need at the foot of the cross. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. What is building up your teen girl's belief system? And that's the main thing, actually, that I've gotten from Debrio Magazine since I've gotten them, is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just every day rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible one. Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Brio Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Bill, sometimes your children will need you to explain hard things. You've kind of touched on that theme. Uh, you were helping your family prepare for, I think, a family member's funeral. Uh, tell us what happened in that context. That sounded like a heavy illustration. Yeah, and that was a time where they were very little. It was my grandmother. So very young kids, one of whom really does not did not like death. And you realize that yeah. in the U.S. we don't handle death well. Right. We, we keep it away from everybody so nobody has to engage it. And so sitting down at dinner time, and I said, guys, I have some hard news. Dinner was over. I have some hard news. Nanny has passed away. She's died. And immediately the one person said, do we all have to go to the funeral? And That and was the first I, question. We all have yeah, to go. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> and I, I, I was expecting that. I said, let's... Let, Let's take a look at a book, uh, passage out of Ecclesiastes, and I brought a children's Bible version that said, it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. And I paused, and I said, that, that seems a little odd. That's counterintuitive. And the kids are like, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And you keep on reading, and it says, because everyone living will die. And so it's helpful to think through that, because this life is very short, and the life with Jesus is how long? And they said, forever. And I thought, nobody knows what forever means. And so I, I put numbers on things. I said, what's that, like 27 million years? And they're like, no, longer. 
and now we do the sort of ramp up, 56 million, no longer. And basically was able to say to them, this life is really short. It's like three-eighths of an inch long. The life to come is like from here to the sun, about 93 million miles long. So my plan next, I think it was Tuesday, and my plan next Tuesday is to go to the funeral and think about the 93 million mile life. It said, I'll be sad, I'll cry. But I think there's more wisdom to that than just living in the three-eighths That's of an great. inch line. I mean, just having them capture mm-hmm. that and tuck it in their heart, right? To give them something to think about. Let's move to another area, that kind of final encouragement. It's important to expect that your kids are going to make mistakes and to be ready to respond well when they do. I think even mental talk for a parent to understand that. I remember Gene and I had that. You know, the boys were younger, and I could see Gene panicking a little bit. I said, "What? okay, tell me what's going on. Well, I'm thinking of when Trent or Troy, when they're going to be 15, and what they potentially could be doing. But parents can do that. You can catastrophize what your kids might do when they're teenagers because you saw them do something as an 8-year-old. Um, explain for us the opportunity that you had to comfort your son after a baseball game, which I think is a little bit related to this. Yeah, I, I would say it is. And my wife and I, Sally, have worked very hard to think to ourselves, they are going to make mistakes. So what can they experience in my home? It's not being perfect, but it would be to have a sense of how God responds to them when they're not perfect. What does love Mm. look like that embraces them, that does not say your sin is okay, but still embraces them anyway? Mm. And I thought that's what I want them to experience in our home. But that means then I've got to invite myself into that. So my son uh, lied one time. I'll, I'll shorten the story lied one time about uh, catching a ball when he didn't at a championship baseball game. Hmm. And I kind of knew that he had, um, but there was a lot of pandemonium, a lot of pressure on him. Literally, the ump asked him, did you drop the ball? And, and you know, he's 10. Come on. <laughs> you're, you're, and everybody's cheering. Everybody's cheering. He caught it. He yeah, caught it. Exactly. I can imagine that. And so he lied. And, and I I was praising him on the way back to the van after the game about all the good plays, including that one, which was astounding, uh, even if he dropped it. And and I I dropped down on one knee and I said, look, I just want to say one thing before we go home. And that is, I want you to know that if you ever do something wrong, like lie about catching a ball when you didn't, I want you to know you can come and talk to me. Okay? Mm. He said, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and I yeah, thought, right. all right, here's another one that doesn't work. But there's wisdom in that. You didn't blister him. You didn't say, okay, so what do you want to tell me? Right? Exactly. That's wisdom. Because all you're doing is forcing a confession. You're not trying to reach a person's heart. And what happened? We drove home. I did a bunch of chores on the way home. Uh, after we got back, kids followed me all around. And then eventually everybody left except that one. And he looks at me and he says, hey, do you have a minute? And I said, yeah, what's up? He said, you know, when I told you that I caught the ball, I, I lied. I, I didn't. And, he, it, you know, he, tears streaming down out of his eyes at this point. Uh, and he said, it meant so much when you said that I could talk to you whenever. And, and so all the way home, I just kept thinking about that. And, and I just I, I couldn't wait to say something. Yeah, I, it's so good. And, Bill, this content is so good. I can't express enough, yet I still have this ringing in my head when we talk about parenting with words of grace we say yeah i understand that but kids need to learn how tough a world this is and 
you know, I, I don't know why. Maybe this is something about my childhood. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it, it it's just like I can feel that hard heart parent saying that. And they just, I don't know if it's because they're uncomfortable. Mm. They didn't receive it as a child. Mm. And therefore, they're going to, you know, kind of pull up their kids by their bootstraps. And life is tough. And get over it. And But, man, God's heart for us is all grace. It's all love. He even says if we don't have love, we're a clanging symbol, right? That his nature is love. How do we move from that maybe hard-hearted parent, even as a believer, into something so much better? When you speak in those kind of ways, and I've had this question before and had people ask this, what I often hear people doing is equating grace with niceness and discipline with punishment. And you think, no, there isn't a single way that our Father relates to us apart from grace. <laughs> grace right. is the overarching umbrella. It, it's covenant. And so everything is done within the context of a relationship, both the, the positive affirmations as well as the, the, the discipline. Discipline from your Father, that's, that's grace, because it would be ungrace to just let you run and destroy yourself. Hmm. I think the grace part really does talk to what's the goal is the goal that we would be restored to each other that we would be closer after this interaction that's the grace part Mm -hmm. because you can discipline without grace and you can be accurate in your assessment that discipline needed to be given but if the end result is you're driving your child away because they've learned to not disappoint you to not to uh, receive hatred from you you're not disciplining them in the same way that God disciplines you. Yeah. And, and you know, that thought came to me, you're right in the action and wrong in the heart. Yeah. And that's where we miss it. Mm-hmm. Bill, this is so good. Parenting with words of grace, building relationships with your children, one conversation at a time. What a great resource for parents to have. And, you know, I say this from time to time, John, if, if uh, the listener, the YouTube watcher, if you can send a gift of any amount, uh, one time or monthly, We'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for being involved with the ministry. If you cannot afford it, I'm going to trust others will cover the cost of that as part of the ministry here, Mm -hmm. and we'll get it into your hands because I feel like this is one of the core key messages that parents need today. In a world that is going to beat up our children, they should know they can come home to a loving environment. Mm -hmm. Bill, thanks for being with us. Thank you, guys. It was really good to be here. Mm. And when you get in touch, be generous as you can and request that book, Parenting with Words of Grace. And uh, our number is 800-232-6459 or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And uh, let me mention a free parenting assessment that we have at our website, which will uh, help you really get a good handle on where you're at as a parent. It'll show you some things that you're doing well and maybe show the spotlight on something that you can improve in. And we've got the link for you on the website. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.